How many of you have heard of a man by the name of Frank Abengale? Frank Abengale. Anyone ever heard of Frank Abengale? All right. Maybe a couple of you in here. Um, Frank Abengale, his life is the subject of a 2002 movie called Catch Me If You Can, starring Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but um, the movie is based on his life story, his biography of the same title. Now, the true story of Mr. Abengale is quite extraordinary. Between the ages of 16 and 21, he pulled off a variety of stunning cons and impersonations. At the young age of 15, he began to commit a series of small-time cons and bank fraud. And then when he was 16, he acquired a pilot uniform by calling Pan Am, and for the kids here, that used to be an airline called Pan Am, by calling Pan Am and telling them that he was a pilot working for them who had lost his uniform. And then he forged an ID, and between the ages of 16 and 18, he flew free, because he, they thought he was a Pan Am pilot, so he could get on these different flights free. He flew free over 1 million miles on 250 flights to 26 different countries. And as a company pilot, he was able to stay at hotels for free during this time. Everything from food to lodging was billed to the airline. After nearly being caught, he moved to, to our town. He moved to Atlanta where he put doctor on the occupation of his lease agreement. And uh, having seen that he was a doctor, one of the other residents in the apartment complex where he lived uh, befriended him and then asked him to act as a supervisor of resident interns at a local hospital. And he took the job. Uh, he was able to fake his way through most of his duties by letting the interns handle the cases during his late night shift that he was overseeing. And he stayed there for 11 months. Later, Abengale uh, forged a Harvard University law transcript. And after making the fake transcript, he actually passed the Louisiana bar exam. I don't know what that says about Louisiana. Um, he passed the Louisiana bar exam, although it was on his third try. He worked in the attorney general's office for eight months before resigning due to the fact that a real Harvard graduate began making inquiries into his background. Now beyond these things, he also impersonated a teacher assistant at BYU, a U.S. Bureau of Prisons agent. Uh, and then during, his, during these episodes, during this life between 16 and 21, he assumed no less than eight different identities, but none were real. Now, he was eventually captured by the FBI. He served relatively little prison time and then actually began to work alongside the FBI, helping them uh, identify fraud. Matter of fact, he became very good friends with the man who chased him, a man by the name of Carl Henratty. And he worked for the rest of his time uh, setting up a security agency that would help law enforcement detect frauds. Frank Abengale was a master of false identities. Now the Bible warns us that in the church there will be many Frank Abengales. Not people who fake being attorneys or pilots, but those who are in, in essence fake Christians, fake believers. And those false believers are led by false teachers and those false teachers are led by a false spirit or a deceitful spirit. The spirit of the Antichrist. 
And that's what we see in today's text in John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So go ahead and turn there if you would. 1 John chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. We are continuing our journey through the epistle of 1 John. Uh, this series is entitled, How Can We Know? Because in this little letter, John has sought to give assurance to his readers Assurance of their salvation, and he's done so by drawing some stark contrast between true faith and false faith, between those who walk in the light and those who walk in the dark, between those who abide in life and those who abide in death, between true fellowship with God and false fellowship with God. But in today's text, John takes us even deeper. He takes us to the spiritual forces behind those two contrasting different ways of living. On the one hand, you have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that we've been singing about this morning. And on the other hand, you have the Spirit of this world, the Spirit of the Antichrist, the Spirit of error, as John calls it in verse 6. So please stand now in the honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 John 4, we'll be beginning in verse 1. We stand in the honor of this Word because we believe the Bible is Spirit-inspired. This is the Holy Spirit's words to us. God's word. Verse 1 of 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that the spirit of truth would prevail this morning. Keep any spirit of error out of this room, we ask. Because we are mere humans. We are fallen we are so prone to wander, we easily can go after spirits of error if we are not guarded by the Word and by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we pray this for this morning. Ask now that you bless the rest of this time that we have in the preaching of the Word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Now, I want to back up just a little bit. Remind us of last week's sermon. Last week, we were looking at yet another one of Paul, I mean, John's contrasts between false faith and, and true faith. And remember that John is doing this, as I've already said, to help us know that we have eternal life. In other words, he wants us to have assurance. And what we saw last week was essentially this. The essential birthmark, meaning the evidence that one has truly been born again, been born of God, the essential birthmark of the child of God is love. We broke that down into three categories or three elements or three uh, characteristics, if you will, of this love. Number one, it's familial love, meaning that it's love for the brothers. What, 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 what is demonstrated in the church, what should be seen in the church, is a, is a 
sacrificial love for one another that, that, that makes Christians stand out from everyone else. So, so there is familial love. And I already mentioned the second one. The second element was sacrificial love. Love that leads us to lay down our lives and lay down our stuff for one another. And finally, supernatural love, meaning that this familial, um, sacrificial love is the fruit of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And so let's look back at verse 24 of last week in chapter 3. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. And here it is. By the Spirit whom he has given us. So John ends that last chapter speaking about the the Spirit. And I think that last verse of chapter 3 leads directly into this week's text. And I think that mention of the Spirit of God causes John to, to have now a desire to discuss other spirits that are at work in the world and thereby give us a very strong exhortation to examine the spirits. Examine what's at work around you. So let's look now at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we are commanded here by John to be discerning, to be discriminating, to, be, to, to detect spiritual frauds, to detect the Frank Abengales of the church. We are commanded, therefore, to judge. But in our culture, it is the unpardonable sin to discriminate or to judge. And in general, Americans, we, we like our religion to be vague but useful. We like for it to be truthful but flexible. We like for it to be pragmatic, expansive, open, uncritical, undemanding, tolerant. But John wants us to be discriminating. He wants us to be discerning. Why? Not because he doesn't love, but because he, he does love. He loves the church. He loves the brothers. Notice he begins this off by saying, beloved, beloved. He loves them. He loves them enough that he should, and we should love the church enough that we should want the church to, to push against the politically correct moralistic deism that dominates the American church today. We should want to be discriminating and discerning and be willing and able to make good judgments about what is true and what is false. When Jaws says, do not believe every spirit, of course, he's not talking about ghosts here. He's talking about the spiritual forces, the spiritual influences that exist in this dark world. John is speaking of what Paul speaks of in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the reason we are to be on guard, the reason we are to put the spirits to the test is that there are, according to John, many false teachers. There were many false teachers in John's day, and there are many false teachers in our day. And we must be on our guard. We are to be discerning because false teachers are, by their very nature, hard to detect. They sneak in. They blend in. Matthew seven fifteen, Jesus' words, Beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders in the passage we preached before, Acts 20, verse 29, says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw, to draw away the disciples 
after them. In 2 Peter 2, verse 1, Peter says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So how does John want us to discern then between those who are led by the Spirit of God and those who are led by false teachers and deceitful spirits of the world? Well, he gives us two tests. The first test is in verses 1 through 3, and the second test is in verses 5 through 6. So we're going to turn now to those two tests, and I'm going to put them in question form so we can ask this question. So here's test number one. What is coming out of the heart regarding the nature and person and work of Jesus Christ? That's the question we must ask. What is coming out of the heart of the person you're, you're listening to? What's coming out of their heart, okay, and overflowing through their mouth? What are they saying regarding the nature and person and work of Jesus Christ? What's coming out of the heart is what the Spirit leads the mouth to confess. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now we need to remember that the heresies that John was facing and dealing with in these churches of Asia Minor was that there were, there were some false teachers that had come in and caused people to, to leave the church. So in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 18, we saw that there was, a, there was some cessationists who had, who had left the church. Matter of fact, I think that's what John is referring to here when he says many false prophets have gone out into the world. These false prophets had led some people astray and had taken many people with them and had led them out to separate from the church. Now, these, these false teachers were, were, had a worldview that was an early form of Gnosticism, which taught that matter, physicality, the physical body, all things material, was bad. It was, it was a strict dualism. Matter is bad, and pure spirit is good. Only the spirit was good. Only spiritual things was good. This led them to say things like, it didn't matter what you did in the body. It didn't matter what sins you committed in the body. Instead, people were to seek higher spiritual experiences and have some sort of and seek some sort of special secret knowledge. Out of this worldview came one of the early Christological heresies, which was Docetism. And I believe that's what John is dealing with, Docetism. The Docetists, they also, like Gnostics, considered physicality to be evil. So they believed the Messiah could not have had a physical body. Christ could not have had a physical body and been purely uh, sinless. There's no way, they say. You can't have a body and be pure. And so they denied basically the incarnation. They believed that what Jesus was was simply an illusion. That the spirit of Christ came upon the man, Jesus, at his baptism and then left at the crucifixion. So Jesus was just a man being led by the spirit of Christ, but that he wasn't God and man joined in one. So they denied the incarnation. They denied that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God, and thereby they denied the gospel, and they denied the true faith. They denied what the apostles, as John says at the very beginning of the book, they denied what the apostles had seen with their eyes, touched with their hands, and testified to in their teachings. And that's what John is referring to in verse 2. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So positively stated by John, if you believe the apostolic message that Jesus, 
that he is 100% divine, son of God, and at the same time he has come in the flesh, that he's 100% man, son of man, if you believe that, well, then you have the Holy Spirit leading you. But the Gnostics and the Docetists couldn't embrace the true gospel and were thereby not saved. They rejected the very real sacrifice of very real human flesh and blood that was necessary for their salvation. So the first test is this. What is flowing up out of the heart and being confessed by the mouth about Jesus? Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what is the mouth confessing? The mouth, according to Jesus, is simply the overflow of what's in the heart. The true Christian confesses the true incarnate 100% God, 100% man, unique God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ who was offered up for the sins of his people. But mind you, John's words aren't only pointing to the incarnation as a historical event. We see something else in the verb tense here that John uses. John says Jesus has come. Not Jesus came, past tense, but that he has come. Perfect active tense, meaning a past action which has effects that carry on into the present and even into the future. This means that there is a permanent assumption of the human nature by the eternal Son of God. The second person of the Trinity is still today in the flesh. This was contra the Docetist teachings. The Docetists believed Jesus that, that the Christ came upon a man and then left. John says that Jesus came in the flesh. He, he has come. He is still in the flesh. It carries on into the future. The eternal Son of God has permanently assumed and taken to himself human flesh. Jesus was not a mere man upon whom divinity descended and then departed. Nor was Christ merely a man for 33 years and then ceased to be fully man at his ascension. No, Jesus Christ is, present tense, now and for all eternity, the God-man, one person with two natures, human and divine. This is orthodox Christology. Almost all heresies, friends, are Christological in their nature. A false view, a false confession of Christ. In this text, again, we see John's habit of giving us parallel statements. One positive and then one negative. So the negative version of the same test is what we see in verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The false spirits deny the saving truths about the nature and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, some believe that these false spirits... As you can read different commentators on this passage, what, what were these false spirits doing? Some believe that these false spirits enabled these false teachers to perform signs and wonders. I'm not sure that's the case. I'm not sure or not if that's the case in this context, but it really doesn't matter. Even if the teacher is performing amazing signs and wonders, what really matters is whether or not he or she is speaking the truth about Jesus. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24, verse 24. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. The ultimate test of a true teacher isn't how powerful or even how impressive his ministry is. The ultimate test of a true teacher isn't whether or not he can fill up an old basketball stadium with 35,000 people. That's not the test of whether or not that guy's speaking truth. The test is, what does he say about Jesus? That's the test. 
What does he say about God? Is, are his words confessing true things about the nature of God? Deuteronomy 13 verse 1 says this. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to his voice, to to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And so when we hear someone talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, we want to discern what exactly they are saying about Jesus. What false teachers deny about Jesus can be seen in what they omit. What they believe about Jesus can be judged by what they leave out. So let me speak with fear and trembling for a moment here. The insider movements, like Jesus and the Koran taught locally at various churches in our area, are dangerous not because the teachers don't speak lovingly about Jesus or they don't desire that Muslims come to the faith. They are dangerous because they leave out truth about Jesus, about his sonship, about his divinity, that are absolutely necessary for true faith. They are led by a spirit that misleads those entrapped in Islam to believe that they do not have to confess Jesus in the manner that John would have them confess Jesus as the Son of God come in the flesh. Modalists like T.D. Jakes talk about Jesus in a lot of right-sounding ways, but they deny the co-eternal, co-existent, triune nature of God. They teach that God makes himself known in different modes at different times. Thus, they deny the very thing 1 John 4.2 says that Jesus is eternally the Son in the flesh. And that he's co-eternal with the Father. And thus they deny that he exists eternally incarnate. A teacher by the name of Joyce Myers may say nice things about Jesus. But she teaches that Jesus ceased to be the Son of God on the cross. And that in hell he was born again. Rob Bell claimed to love Jesus, but he denies the unique work of Christ on the cross, saying that it is not necessary to believe in Christ in order to be saved. These are dangerous teachers who, while saying, I love Jesus, are leading people to hell. Frank Abengale, the story I told you earlier, you know why he stopped being a doctor at 11 months? Because he almost killed someone, and it scared him to death. Someone brought in a baby that was suffocating. They said, there's a blue baby here. He had no idea what they meant by blue baby. And he almost killed the child. And he realized, I'm putting people's lives in danger by acting the way I'm acting. So then he went off and did another fraud. People's lives are in danger from the Frank Abengales that reside within our churches. The spirit of the age wants us to embrace a false Christ. That's what John says in the second half of verse 3. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Even as a central Antichrist figure is yet to come, there are many Antichrists now. And why are they Antichrists? Because they are led by spiritual forces that are teaching false things about Jesus. 
Demon did a great job teaching a few weeks ago about, about Antichrist. But I think sometimes we think the spirit of Antichrist is going to be so obvious to us. Some guy with a big sign that says Antichrist with 666 on his forehead and a pitchfork. and lead. No, it's subtle. It's, that's why he's warning them. The Antichrist actually over on this side saying, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. We all just love Jesus. You love Jesus. I love Jesus. Let's just get along. Meanwhile, they're denying very important truths about Jesus and leading people to hell. Let me throw a curveball. What, what about this? What about people who say all the right things, orthodox things about Jesus, who at best are simply repeating facts, facts that, that, that haven't moved from the head to the heart? There have been and there are and there always will be those who can speak orthodoxy, confess orthodoxy physically with their lips, but their confession is mere words. It's not heartfelt or sincere. Jesus speaks of that in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So what do we do with that? What do we do with people who actually can confess, at least physically, orthodoxy? Well, this is why John has given us such a long and drawn-out argument for real faith. Mere confession, Lord, Lord, or Jesus came in the flesh, is not enough. Look again at Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And now let me take us back a few verses. Let's go back, back up your Bibles to chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Just look back there real quickly. Okay, this is the words in verse 22. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So I would equate Jesus' command to do what, what John's saying here about keeping the commandments with Jesus' command to do the will of my Father in heaven. So whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking at today. That's the doctrinal test, the doctrinal confession. But then John goes on, and love one another just as he has commanded us. And that's what we looked at last week. So what we see is that right doctrine must be accompanied by right actions. Confessing Jesus, which is believing in Jesus, must be accompanied by love. Orthodoxy must be accompanied by orthopraxy. If we have love without right belief, we can have no confidence in our salvation. If we have right belief without love, we can have no confidence in our salvation. Remember these words also penned by the Apostle John to one of the very churches that he's writing to here in 1 John. In Revelation 2, verse 2, he says this to the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested. So he's doing exactly what he's telling them to do here. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do what the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So we must evaluate true faith in light of all that John has to say. 
And that includes what we are looking at today, testing the spirits, testing the teachings, testing the spiritual forces behind what it is that we believe, but also looking at what we looked at last week. Is there love that accompanies right doctrine? Test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil, is what 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 teaches us. So we need to test what comes out of the heart, okay, what one confesses about Jesus. So what is coming out of the heart regarding the nature and person and work of Jesus Christ? But here's another way to test the spirit. Test two, what is going into the heart regarding the nature and the person and the work of Jesus Christ? So what's coming out of the heart and what's going into the heart? Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Those who are from the world speak things that come from the world. And not only, do, not only that those are, who are from the world speak things that are from the world, they have an audience who consists of those who are from the world. So what one listens to, what one allows to go in the heart, is another way to discern what spirit is leading them. What one takes in spiritually is another way to discern which spirit is leading them. But the true believer cannot stomach what is from the world. The true believer will not receive false teaching. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is with him and what fellowship has light with darkness. So true believers are seen in the parallel positive statement in verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, by what? By, by what one listens to, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now notice John has shifted. He's shifted from the singular me back to the plural we in this verse. Why is that? Well, I think it's tied way back to the very beginning of this epistle. John 1 verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which the Father has made manifest to us, that we, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. I argued then and I argue now that the we spoken of at those first verses and the we spoken of here in verse 6 of chapter 4 is referring to the apostles. So what is it that John is saying to his readers in verse 6? He is saying that those who are truly from God, listen to us, listen to the apostles' teachings. But those who are not, don't. And this is how we know the spirit of error and truth. Does the spirit at work within the person lead them to be devoted to the apostles' teachings or not. As I've argued before, uh, the apostles' teaching in our context, at our moment in redemptive history, is this book right here. It's the Bible. Here we have the deposit of truth. We have the final apostolic teaching. So true believers devote themselves to this book. True believers devote themselves to the word of God. Those who are truly from God, those who know God, listen to the apostolic word of God, but whoever is not from God does not listen to the word. By this, the willingness to and ability to listen to and adhere to the word, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And it makes sense. If we are led by the Holy Spirit, 
then we will listen to and believe in the Holy Spirit's words. The Bible is the Spirit-inspired Word of God. Right before Jesus' I mean, Paul, uh, Peter's, I'll get one of them here in a minute. Right before Peter's warning uh, about false teachers that I read to you early, earlier in 2 Peter 2.1, we see in verse 19 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter, him say this, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and it is spirit-inspired. You know, I've said it before, that word breathe, the word for breathe, and the word for spirit, and the word for wind in the Greek is all the same word. If one has the Spirit of God, he will em- embrace the Spirit-wrought words of God. If you have the Spirit of God, it bears testimony that this is true. This makes sense. This is how I should view the world through the lenses that God gives me in his word. Your spirit will bear witness to that. So the Bible becomes our primary means of testing the spirits. Acts 17, 11. This is about the Jews in Berea. Those Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were testing what Paul was teaching them to see if the spirit of God was speaking through Paul or not. The Apostle John later in another letter to these same churches says this in 2 John verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not, listen, abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teachings has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. What you do with Jesus' teachings, what you do with the apostles' teachings, what you do with this word is all the same. Whatever you do with this book right here will determine your eternal destiny. Now let us conclude this morning by, by looking at the, the glorious role that the Holy Spirit plays in all of this. First, the Spirit's role in pointing us to Christ. Okay, the Spirit of the world, the Spirit of the Antichrist, points people away from Christ even while proclaiming it loves Jesus. But the Holy Spirit's job is to exalt Christ and point us to the fullness of who He is. John fifteen twenty six. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then the verses that Dima read earlier, John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but, can't, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit's role is to to exalt Christ. But secondly, we have to acknowledge the Spirit's role in giving us the word like we just talked about. The scriptures, as we've already stated, are spirit wrought. And so the combination of these two truths, 
by the way. The combination of these truths, truths, number one, that it's the Spirit's role to exalt Christ and that the Spirit has given us this book is one of the reasons that I believe wholeheartedly in a radically Christocentric hermeneutic. If this is, if it's the Holy Spirit's role to point us to Christ and if this book is, is breathed out by the Holy Spirit, then the way we interpret this book is the way Jesus tells us to in Luke 24, in light of him. He is the center point. A Christocentric hermeneutic is the way we approach the scriptures. John 5, 39, Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Finally, the Holy Spirit's role is to work within his people to cause them to confess Christ and then to enable them to hold on to the apostles' teachings. There's one verse we skipped over today, and I'm going to conclude with it this morning, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You've overcome them. What does he mean? It means that the little children, the believers to whom John is writing, which includes us, have not given in to the false spirits. They have kept the faith. They have remained true. But why? Why have the little children, why have the believers, why have we remained true? It is only, only because of the Spirit of God that is in us. The Spirit first had to give us new life, new birth through sovereign grace. John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It is a sovereign work of grace. And secondly, the Spirit remains in us and causes us to persevere. Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then a few verses later in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God gets all the glory in our perseverance. The only people who overcome, the only people who resist the false spirits of this age, are the ones in whom resides the Spirit of God. One's born of the Spirit, one's sustained by the Spirit, enabled to believe, enabled to love, enabled to overcome. Friends, my hope for myself to remain in the faith is not resting on any confidence I have in my own strength to keep the apostolic word. Because I know me. I'm way too prone to wander away from this book. My only hope for perseverance and keep believing in this book right here is the Holy Spirit in me. Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's my only hope. That's your only hope. The only hope we have is that he causes us to overcome. If you're here this morning, you're a believer. Let your hope rest in the work of God through the Spirit of God in your heart. Do not go after novel understandings of Jesus, but remain faithful to the apostolic word. But perhaps you're here this morning and you realize that you are Frank Abengale. You've been faking it. You look the part, you act the part, but inside there's no reality. Or perhaps you know this morning that you never actually have been a Christian. You're not even Frank Abengale. You haven't even tried to fake it. 
then I invite you to come this morning to confess Jesus, to turn from your sin, to put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. And if you do that, it'll be because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. He's the one drawing you. He's the one giving you faith to believe. So believe this morning. Believe that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. It's the only way you can be saved. You had to have a perfect sacrifice offered for your sins. And anything less than Jesus being 100% man and 100% God is insufficient to save you. So believe in the apostolic word this morning. Turn to Jesus. Confess him as Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that your word is true. It does not return void. It does not return void because it is alive and active. It is powerful. It penetrates hearts like a double-edged sword. It cuts down the enemy. It is what we stand on this morning. So Father, if there be anything that I said today that is not in line with your word, then I pray that you would cut it down. But to the degree that I have been online with your scriptures, then Father, I pray that you would equip us, enable us to stand strong in this world filled with false spirits, in this weird culture we live in today where we can go into Christian bookstores owned by our own denomination and find heresy on the front shelves. Oh, Lord, give us the, the discernment we need. And if we, if we can cut through the hype, and if we, can, if we can stay attached to the word, then, Father, we will give you all the glory because it's your spirit at work within us. And so, Lord, help us. Help us be people who hold fast to the, to the teachings, to what John saw and felt and then proclaimed to us, don't let us be led astray so easily. And Lord, for those in here who aren't believers, or maybe, maybe they are Frank Abengale. They thought they could become a Christian by buying a, a Christian suit. They thought they could make a deal with you to get into heaven. If they did a certain amount of things, they're in. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask you to cut through that heart. Break the stony heart. Reveal the need for true confession. Reveal the need for repentance. And cause them to come, even today, to Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you. We close now with a song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.